Well, it is a joy to be here. I always enjoy being here. I don't know how you folks get anything done with the beauty that surrounds you here. You know, I find myself just driving in, in all of the beauty and all of what God has done in creation. It's just, uh, it's just amazing to me, and I uh, always enjoy coming out here. Um, uh, certainly, I don't want this to turn into a love fest, but I really do appreciate your pastor. Uh, I always enjoy uh, talking with him and visiting with him and enjoy being in his home. I'm always encouraged when I see his family, and that's a real blessing. Uh, and uh, uh, for those of you have, who have not traveled or for those of you who've never been uh, in, an, in, a, in any other church, you don't know the blessing that you have in the pastor, his wife, and his family. Uh, and you ought to pray for them, you ought to encourage them, and I know that you do, but uh, it's real easy to take for granted uh, things when, and people if we're not careful. Um, I just, uh, during Sunday school, he was teaching, and uh, uh, you know, I just bowed my head and just started thanking God for my wife. And you know, I've just taken her for granted so many ways, and uh, the, the help me that she is to me, and uh, I could not do what uh, I've what God has allowed us to do without her help and support. And, um, uh, you know, it's just easy to take things for granted. And uh, I hope that you will not do that with your pastor, with his, his, your wife, his family, and uh, hope that they are as, uh, in your eyes, that they are held in high esteem and high regard. Uh, I, I enjoy being with your pastor. He sharpens me. He uh, uh, helps me to, to think more clearly about things. Uh, my oldest son, Neil, uh, has very much the same personality and mindset of, of your pastor. And, uh, you know, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, and let's don't get off this line or the whole thing will flip over. And uh, uh, I need that. Uh, you know, I know who I am. I know my personality. I know my strengths. And boy, do I know my weaknesses. And so whenever I can be around folks like your pastor, it's very encouraging, it's very helpful, and it, it helps to refocus me uh, on what's important and uh, refocus me on, on uh, the, the preeminence of the Word of God and making sure that we've got it all lined up. Because if, if, if we don't have the foundation right, uh, I mean, we're going to have problems. And so I, I appreciate that about your pastor. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James this morning. And, um, I'm not going to be preaching on missions or missions giving or anything like that. I want to preach a message that I've only preached a couple times. And it's very, uh, how do I say this? Uh, I'll, I'll use a word from my millennial brethren. It's very, uh, it gives me an opportunity to be very transparent about some failures, about a specific failure in my life and my early ministry uh, that really has shaped from that point till today of how I look at things and, and how I view the will of God and doing the will of God. And uh, I wish I could tell you, I was going to tell you a story and give you an illustration where I'm the hero, but it's certainly not that way. By the way, uh, if you're listening to a pastor or listening to a preacher and he's the hero of every story, you better pack up and run because uh, we're just not always on top of our game as much as we like to think that we are. I want to share an illustration that will continue throughout the sermon of a, of a massive mistake 
that I made in my life and uh, uh, how God in his goodness and graciousness allowed me to overcome that mistake, forgave me of it, helped me through it, taught me some tremendous lessons through it. And hopefully uh, there'll be some thoughts and some ideas that you can glean from it uh, that'll, that'll be a help to you. And uh, uh, I am convinced that God wants us to learn from the idiot mistakes that other people make so we don't have to make the same mistakes. And, and I hope that you can learn from the mistake that I'm going to share with you today as you guide your lives. Now, don't just think this is a mistake that young people make. A lot of times young people do make this mistake, but I've seen people through all stages of life make the same mistake. In the book of James, chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13, uh, we have a, an interesting passage here. And uh, uh, I'd like for us to, to look at this this morning. And uh, if you don't mind, let me ask you to stand as we are on the reading of God's Word. James chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 17, the Bible says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have already worked in our hearts today, and I thank you for the, the worshipful spirit that we feel here. And I'm thankful for just the time that I had to just express my love to you today. God, as we look into the Word of God, we do ask that the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher and guide under the truth of your Word. Father, we confess that with our own strength, with our own minds, with our own thoughts, we'll interpret it incorrectly and we'll apply it wrongly. God, let the Spirit of God teach us and help us and show us that we might not only be a hearer, but also a doer of your word. Now, Father, as I share some, share a mistake that I made in my life, a, a time when I committed sin against you, I, I pray that we not glory in that, but we glory in the goodness and the grace of God to work and to teach us through situations like this. And I pray, Lord, as we think about this idea, these thoughts, that every person here would examine their lives and see if, if they are committing this sin, if they have this same type of mistake in their lives. Father, most importantly, we ask that you glorify yourself today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Here in James chapter 4, this passage that we just read, James is, is visualizing. Obviously, we understand that he's being uh, led by the Holy Spirit to, to, to write this down, to speak these words, to understand that. But, but he's visualizing a, uh, a person or 
a group of people, a couple of people, because he uses the, the pronouns we uh, in, in describing it. Uh, but he's describing this group of people, maybe it's a couple, maybe it's more than that, and they are making decisions about their future. They're making plans. Uh, they're talking about what they're going to do today or what they're going to do tomorrow or what they're going to do next year. Uh, they're talking about how that they're going to go into a city and they're going to uh, have a certain um, profession, uh, how long they're going to do it. They're going to be there for about a year. They're going to buy, they're going to sell, they're going to get gain. They're going to do those types of things. Uh, they're planning their future. Now, as far as we can tell from Scripture and, and, and applying other principles here, these are legitimate plans. But what I mean by that is uh, these people who are planning to do these things are not planning to go out and commit sin. It's not pre premeditated sin. It's not looking for a way and, and to go out and just give themselves over to the flesh, just to uh, give themselves over to do whatever they want. It, it's not uh, those type of plans uh, that are being made here. They, they seem to be legitimate. They seem to be the, the same type of plans that people make all the time. Particularly here, uh, these folks seem to be business people that uh, they're the kind of plans that a businessman is is making. And, and uh, if he's going to prosper, he's going to have to think and plan and do those kind of things. And, and, and truly, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if that's the case, what's the problem that James has or what's the problem that the Lord has with what they're doing? Now, doubtless, when uh, James was in business as the village carpenter, he made some similar plans. He had some long-term goals and long-term uh, plans for his life and for his business. But see, the problem that James is, is uh, harping on or that he's underlining here, emphasizing here, is a simple, but it's a very common and a very serious problem. These people were making plans without any reference to God. Now, it's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to prepare. We ought to do those things. The book of Proverbs talks about how the wise man seeth trouble afar off, and he prepares for that. We ought to do those things. This is not a sermon against being prepared. It's not a sermon against plans. The problem were not there, uh, that they were making plans. The, the, the problem was that they were making plans without one time consulting God. Right. You see, James is dealing with a tragedy that I see among Christians over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday, Pastor, when you said you guys looked out and thought I was on the phone, I was. I was calling Australia. Uh, one of our girls has gone there. She had made her plans and gone there. And then, by the way, Pastor, can you find a church for me? And so I was trying to do that. She found it, by the way, and we averted that. But uh, more about that later. But anyway, uh, we, we do this all the time. Uh, we, we make our plans, and we really don't think about what God wants us to do. We don't consider what God wants to do. Or we maybe we'll think in a, in a very generic sense, well, you know, God can be honored by this and, 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 and uh, I could be a, a blessing and help other people I do this. But we never ask, is this what God wants me to do? Too often we put together plans, we set our goals, and we direct our life with little and sometimes no concern for the will of God. 
These people were planning their futures as if they were the masters of the universe, if they were the, the Lord of, uh, of their, their own soul, or the captain of their own soul. Uh, they acted as if their fate was in their very own hands and they could control everything. And so they made these plans thinking they control their fate with no need of referring to God or asking God what they should do. I find that many Christians make decisions for their lives based on everything but the will of God. They make decisions on what they want. This is what I want. They make decisions on what they need. I need this. They make decisions on what's easiest. I've seen many believers just take the path of least resistance in guiding their lives. And, and, and here's another one. They make their plans based on what is logical. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more illogical than having a big, fat, redheaded dude go to China as a missionary. You know? And I have people in deputation telling me that. Uh, don't you think you ought to go to Ireland? Well, that's just what they need, another redhead, you know? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's illogical to think of that. But we make our plans based on on logic. Uh, whenever uh, my sons went to Bible college, uh, two of them, Neil and Ben, received a, a tremendous pressure and from the staff, from the faculty. They said to them, why, it's just logical that you would be a missionary to China. Now, obviously, God led them uh, to go to China and God opened that door. Uh, but I told them, I said, we don't do anything because it's logical. We do it because that's what God leads, and that's the way that God leads. And many times it is logical, but not just based upon our own logic. Because I tell you what, my mind is so wicked, I can just make about anything logical and right. And by the way, you can too. Many Christians live their lives without ever considering what God would have them to do. The Bible says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. May I paraphrase here? The bigger fool is the believer who says, I trust in God with my eternal soul, but yet lives his life making decisions as if there is no God. Now, I want you to notice from this passage, there are, there are three mistakes that were made here. I've made all three of them. And I'm going to share that with you this morning. You forgive me for that. I'm, I'm not trying to exalt myself. I'm just trying to show you I've done some stupid stuff. And it's just a part of being a human. And it's not right. I can't justify it. But hopefully you can learn from it. What were the mistakes that happened in planning without consulting God, without thinking about God? I want you to notice in verse 13, he says here, go to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. The first mistake that they made was the mistake of self-centered, godless planning. They didn't ask God. Uh, later on in the passage, uh, they were rebuked saying that, that they ought to have considered if it is the will of God or not to, to do these things. But I want you to notice how they planned. First of all, they chose their own time. In verse 13, he says, uh, go to now, you say today or tomorrow. They decided exactly when they were going to do what they were going to do. They planned what, 
what they were, were going to do next year and, 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 and tomorrow and the next day, and, and they didn't ask God about it. They decided when they were going to do something. They act as if they were the ones that were in charge of determining time. You realize, I, as a, I've been in ministry now for a little over 40 years. I started when I was about six. Uh, but uh, <laughs> nobody believes that, right? Uh, but anyway, uh, in ministry over 40 years, and, and I have seen people, literally men, women, young people think that they were in control of time. I've heard people say, well, uh, whenever I get to this point in my life, I'm going to serve the Lord. Or whenever I get to this point in my life, I'm going to serve the Lord. It goes like this. You know, I'm a, I'm a teenager and, and uh, I'm going to have some fun and I'm going to enjoy life. Uh, once I get to college, but then I'll serve the Lord. And then they get in college and, I, well, I've got to enjoy the college experience. And I've got to have a good college. I've got to study. I've got to prepare. And once I get out of college and, and get into my chosen vocation, why, then I'm going to serve God. And then they get in their chosen vocation and, well, you know, I've got to make a mark here. And I've got to earn some money. I've got to move up the ladder. I've got to uh, prepare for my family. Once I, I get established in my career, then I'm going to serve God. And then all of a sudden they're established in their career. They're like, oh my, I've got kids who are going to be going to college pretty soon. I've got to help and prepare and plan for that. When I get all that taken care of, then I'm going to serve the Lord. And then finally that happens and grandchildren come along and we got to traverse all over the country to see the grandchildren. For me, all over the world to see the grandchildren. And, uh, you know, maybe when they get a little older and, and things are a little better, well, then I'll serve the Lord. And, and when I retire, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then one day you can't do anything because you're physically unable. And you say, you know, I wish I'd started sooner. We somehow think that we are the master of time. Mm -hmm. They chose their own time. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they chose their own territory. Look at verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city. They picked the location where they were going to live. They picked the location where they were going to work. They didn't ask the Lord if he'd have them go there. They looked on a map. They, they maybe did a, uh, some kind of study and, and uh, maybe had a, uh, another group, a consulting group, help them pinpoint this area. Uh, they looked at the business trends. They looked at the needs. They decided this is where they're going to go. They decided to go to a place that seemed wise to them, that seemed right to them. I've seen this so many times among people. I pastored before I went to the mission field. I pastored in Memphis, Tennessee, and we had a we had a big swap that would take place. Uh, we'd have folks transferred from Memphis to Atlanta, and folks transferred from Atlanta to Memphis. And it's amazing to me how many of my people I thought were good people who would come to me and say, Pastor, uh, I'm being transferred to Atlanta. Uh, we went down last week and we bought a house. Pray that we could find a church. I'd say, oh, we're a little late for that, aren't we? Mm. A little bit late for that. Well, this was such a good deal on the house and yada, yada, yada. And, and uh, I know God opened the door for me to take this transfer. Why? Well, because it's a larger salary and it's a higher position. It's amazing to me, Pastor. No one ever came to me and said, uh, Pastor Ray, God has led me to take this transfer. I'm going to be demoted and I'm going to get a cut in pay. They chose their territory. 
We're going to go to such and such city. And that's where we're going to be active. That's where we're going to, I have seen so many good Christian people sacrifice their families, sacrifice their children on the altar of the transfer and move up the ladder and make a little bit more money. And I've told them so. As a pastor, that is part of our responsibility. When you see people make mistakes, you try to tell them you're making a mistake. You, you don't need to do that. Think about your family. Oh, no, we got a good family. Da, 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 da. And then you see them after the kids get into the teen years, you realize they've lost it all. And many times the husband and wife don't even stay together. They chose their own territory. They thought they were in control of time. They thought they could choose the place. You know, I've heard of people saying, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. But I just don't want to be too far away from my grandchildren. I love my grandchildren. You pray for us. We only have 17. <laughs> Number 18's on the way. And uh, I love them. I'd love to see them love spend all the time that I could in the world. But God has a territory. God has a place where he wants me to be. And I get to see them from time to time. I'll get to spend eternity with them in heaven. That's why I'm praying for them all to be saved and their parents are leading them to, uh, to walk with the Lord and know Christ. And, uh, but I can't just say, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as it's here in this place. So they, they chose their own time. They chose their own territory. Thirdly, they chose their own termination. Look at verse 13. He says, and continue there a year. Now that's pretty, that's pretty cut and dry. We're going to go, and we're going to be a year, and we're going to buy ourselves. We're going to make money. Well, I'm not a businessman, but I understand a little bit about business. And sometimes it takes more than a year to get profitable. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes a lot more than a year to get profitable. But they decided, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it for a year, and that's it. They knew when they were going to stop. They assumed that they had 365 days and they could use them any way that they wanted. They assumed that they could decide when they would start, uh, when they would stop. But the problem is things don't always work out on the schedule that we plan. That's why we need to be on God's schedule. Fourthly, they chose their own trade. Look at verse 13. He says, and continue their year and buy and sell. Let me just tell you something. There's nothing wrong with buying and selling. You see it in the Word of God. It's it's lifted up. It's exalted. Now, we're to be ethical. We're not to use diverse weights and measures and things like that. And we're to we're to, to give a, a good product or a good service and, and fair price and all those kind of things. But there's nothing wrong with conducting business. But they determined their own vocation. They didn't say, God, should we go into business? God, should we do this business? Should we do it in this city? Should we do it at this time? They determined what their trade or what their vocation was going to be. I want to tell you something. Having a trade, owning a business, or, or having a career is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. The pastor talked about it in, in Sunday school this morning. It's a way to, 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 to have dominion, and I, I agree with all of that. But all of those things must be done in the will of God. My dad was a builder. Uh, he started out as a carpenter, worked his way up, started his own company, 
Uh, he was a builder. He had a contract with Kentucky Fried Chicken to remodel 60% of their stores in the United States. I worked for him in high school and college doing those things, and he always wished that I could take over the business. And uh, there was some thought about that after college, maybe one day doing that, but that wasn't what God had for me. I could have enjoyed that. I could have uh, appreciated I, I My dad was too laid back for me. I would have pushed a little harder, but that's another story. Uh, we don't have the right to choose our own trade or own occupation without consulting the Lord. We need to find out what God wants us to do. Young people, before you ever decide I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a businessman, I'm going to be a tradesman. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. We need Christians in all of those uh, vocations. But before you do any of that, you need to say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what would you have me to do? And then finally, we see here they chose their own target. He says, and, and get gain. Now, let me just say this, and I know it may be a shock to folks. But there's nothing wrong with making money. Nothing wrong with that. It's encouraged uh, to, that we do that. It's encouraged that we do that to provide for our families. It's, concur it's encouraged to do that, that we may leave finances even to our grandchildren. And so all of those things are good to, to, to make money. But here's the problem. There was no fault for the will of God. But not only that, there was no fault about the glory of God. If I go and do this, if I buy and sell, if I make money, if I, if I get gain, will this glorify God? And whatever our vocation or whatever our profession may be, when we suit up in the morning to go to our jobs, our main focus ought to be the glory of God. Yes. Because ultimately he is our boss. Ultimately he's the one that we'll answer to. And if we can please him... Our human boss is going to love it. Mm -hmm. So let's have the right target. Yes. Okay. Let me just say this again. There's nothing wrong with planning. Right. There's nothing wrong with going to another city to start a business. There's nothing wrong with business, uh, contrary to what uh, uh, many on the left will tell us. There's nothing wrong with the Bible encourages business and productivity. There's nothing wrong with making a profit. The Bible teaches that it's all right, it's proper, it's a good thing to make a profit. James is not attacking their profit motive, but their exclusion of God. The problem is that they did all of these things in the spirit of self-sufficiency. And, and later on, they, they, they boasted about what, he was, what they were doing and, and how they were doing. They didn't ask God about any of it. They made all of their plans totally and completely apart from God. Many of us here this morning do the same thing. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you got to go to McDonald's and stand in line and while you're standing in line saying, oh, dear Lord, should I have a cheeseburger regularly? You know, if you're going to ask God, he's probably going to say, go somewhere and eat something more healthy than McDonald's. But anyway, that's, a, that's another sermon in itself. And, uh, but I'm not talking about that kind of thing. But I'm talking about as uh, these major decisions, these big decisions in our lives, we have, got to, we have got to trust God. We've got to ask God for his direction. 
We're, we're making these decisions without a thought of God's will. And the problem is when it goes bad, then we come back to the pastor. We want him to fix it. And we ask, why did God do this? And the reality is God didn't do it. You did. We do the same thing, whether it be in business, whether it be in sports, whether it be in education, whether it be in marriage. Uh, we just don't seek God's will or God's face. Many people plan their lives and make their decisions without ever consulting Almighty God. James is saying here that we are practical atheists when we do this. We're living, and now we know that there's a God, and He saved our eternal soul, but we're living as though there is no God, even though we believe in God. You see, they were making plans as if they were omniscient, as if they were omnipotent, as if they were invulnerable. Now, let me ask you, have you ever made plans without consulting God? I'm embarrassed to say today, I have. I want to share with you this illustration, and I'm, I'm laying my soul bare, okay? I want you to know that, about a major mistake that I made when I was about 21 years of age. When I was in college, my first year of college, I signed a full football scholarship to play football uh, for the University of Tennessee at Martin. Everything was paid for. God called me to preach. I didn't know what to do. Went to my pastor. He told me where to go to school. So I left that school, went to a, another school. And I, I, I had a pickup truck that I bought when I, was, when I turned 16. It was a um, Dodge red 1978 pickup truck red fire engine red with a yellow stripe down the side of it i mean it was something else it had a slant six it had all the things but it didn't have an air conditioner you know my dad took me down to buy the thing and or he actually went down and bought the thing and they had this lot this leader you know this truck for only this price you get there there's no radio there's no ac there's nothing in it it's you know free on the tree no automatic dad said we'll take that one and so he bought it for me gave me the payment book and it was mine and uh, when God called me to preach, my dad said, my son, you ought to think about getting another car because you're going to be driving around in a coat and tie. West Tennessee, it's hot most of the time. And I prayed about it, and I felt God's leadership. And so I did. I went out and bought a car. Man, it was a big deal to me. And Dad helped me in, in picking out the car and everything. And, and uh, I bought this. It was a Mercury. Okay, I've been driving a Dodge. Now I'm driving a Mercury. It was a Mercury Lynx. Okay, now that's the same thing as a Ford Escort. Okay, just with a Mercury name, Mercury name on it. It was a, it was a Mercury Lynx blue. as a glorified Escort, but it had all the bells and whistles. It had a great air conditioner. Everything was wonderful about it. The AC worked good. It was good on gas. And right after I got it, just within a few months after I got it, we got married, and it was literally all that we needed. It was perfect. It was inexpensive on gas. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, if you guys can remember back into the Carter years, you know, it was, uh, it was inexpensive on, on the, the, the high price of gas and all those kind of things. And it was, it was great for us. It, it just really had one problem. It wasn't really a big problem, but it was an embarrassing problem. And that is the driver's side seat broke. When I say broke, I mean the legs on it were pot metal and they broke. And I had welded those things back together dozens of times. 
As a matter of fact, I had to take, unbolt it, take it off, turn it upside down, weld it. And I had burn holes in the seat, not from cigarettes, but from welding slide, that, that, that burner. Thankfully, my wife and I are both tall, so you didn't have to move the seat. We both could drive it. And uh, it, was, it was a great car, but that seat was frustrating because it was sitting flat on the floor and it was, you know, tall enough it wasn't a problem to drive, but it just was embarrassing. You just kind of had to fall into it. It was fine. I was satisfied with my car. But one day, Martin and I were at my dad's and my dad began to talk to me about a new car. And he said, son, you're pastoring a church. And, and, uh, and I was, and he said, uh, you know, it doesn't really look good for the pastor to fall out of his car, you know, because of the seat's so low. And he said, I really think you ought to get something else. And, and uh, he said, you know, you know my philosophy and, and, you know, I trade vehicles every two years. And, uh, uh, you know, my philosophy is if they'll loan me the money, I'll buy it. And, uh, uh, and I love my dad, but that wasn't a good philosophy. And I'll just throw that out. And, uh, you know, uh, he's really encouraged me. And, Dad thought I needed a new car. Now, I'm not blaming my dad. I could have ignored what he said. I could have done my own thing. I could have prayed and asked God what to do. But I started thinking about how nice it would be to have a new car. You know what I found? I found that I am so wicked that I can convince myself of anything. After a couple months of thinking about that, not only did I convince myself that I needed a car, I convinced myself I deserved a new car. Mm -hmm. Well, I took my wife to my in-laws and we were visiting with them and my father-in-law helped me weld the seat a couple times. He let me use the shop and he said, you ought, to, you ought to get a new car. You need a new car. You deserve a new car. My, my daughter deserves to ride in a better car. And so, again, I could have ignored that, but I didn't. At the time, he was in business, and, and he said, you know, I, uh, I buy a lot of vehicles. I know the fleet manager down at the local Ford dealership. If, if you're interested in, in buying a car, he said, I'll take you down there, and I'll introduce you to him, and he'll give you my fleet price, which would be better than you can negotiate. I made a decision right there. I'm going to buy a car. So I said, let's go. I didn't go home and pray about it. Let's go right now. So we loaded up and we went to the Ford dealership and we looked at the car. And I mean, it was going to be a big step up. I mean, from that Mercury Lynx, that glorified Ford Escort, I was a Ford Escort. I was going to buy a Ford Tempo. I mean, it was a big step up. Here's the problem. Nothing wrong with buying a car, as long as that's what God wants you to do. The problem was, as a believer, you know, as a pastor, I never prayed about it. I never said, Lord, do I need a new car? I just made a decision. I am going to buy a car. Now, you understand something? I was pastoring a church. I was standing before people and I was telling them, you need to seek the will of God. You need to follow God. You need to uh, seek God in your day-to-day -day life, in every area of your life. But now I've made a decision, a major decision, 
without consulting God. And I committed myself to five years of monthly payments without ever asking God what he wants me to do. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. All of us have to beware of the mistake of self-centered, godless planning. We can do it just like that. In small things, in big things. I mean, quickly we can make up our minds and no one, not even God himself, is going to change our mind. Living and acting if, it, if there is no God. The fool that said in his heart, there is no God. Teenagers, you don't need to make the mistake of godless planning, self-centered planning. Young married couple, middle-aged folks, senior saints, beware of self-centered godless planning, living as if there is no God. Now, secondly, I want to show this other mistake, and that is the mistake of self-confident presumption. What you notice in, in verse number 14, he says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. You see, they were ignorant about the future. They, today or tomorrow, they were going to go to another city and they were going to abide there for a year. And they were going to buy and they were going to sell and they were going to get gain. The problem was they didn't know the future. God does, but we don't. We think we know what's going to happen tomorrow. And then the reality is it might happen the way we think. We might get up and we might get dressed and we might go to work and our day might be what we think it's going to be. And, and most of the time, that's probably what's going to happen, but maybe not. They didn't seek God's faith and they were very, uh, face. They were very presumptuous. They were ignorant about the future. They were, i got to get alliterated here, they were incognizant about life. He said, what do you mean? Look in verse 14, last part. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a time, for a little time, and then vanishes away. We all think we've got time. We all think we've got time. I hope I've got many, 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 many more years of ministry. But maybe not. And I don't know. I may have many, many more years to, to, to work and to carry out my plans and to reach my goals and to reach my objectives, but I don't know that. Mm -hmm. Only God does. But we act and live as if we're, uh, if we know the future, we, we, we act and live as if we can control time. And then we see also that they were indifferent about God's will. Notice there, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will. I mean, they never even considered whether it was God's will or not. We do this, and, and, and then when the problems and the heartaches come, we go to the past, we ask him to fix the problem, or, or we, we ask him why God allowed the problem, but it's because of our presumption. We, we're self-confident. I got this. I can handle this. I can, I can do what I've got to do tomorrow. I can do what I've, I've got to do for the, for the next five years, for the next ten years. Maybe not. Self-centered. Self-confident presumption. And then not only that, but they were they were boasting. Look at verse 16. But now you're rejoicing and boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. They were boasting about how God blessed them. Look at this. We've come here and we've gone to this city and, and, and we're buying and selling. We're making money. Look, the blessings of God are upon our lives. I want you to tell you, I'll tell you something. When we step outside the will of God, sometimes things go as we plan, but it doesn't mean that God is blessing our plan. Because the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. And we need to understand that. Let's go back to that poor tempo. 
You know, there's nothing like the smell of a new car. I mean, there's nothing like it. I've gone into AutoZone and I bought that little thing you hang from your mirror that says new car smell. It doesn't come close, okay? It doesn't come close. I mean, it was such fun driving that Timbaland. I mean, the seats weren't broken. Everything worked. I mean, I could slide the seat up and back and everything. Man, it smelled new and oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. A few days afterward, I had the car just maybe a week or so. I was having my devotions. It was nighttime. I was reading by myself. And, and uh, at that time, God was regularly speaking to me from his word. It, it was a blessing. I mean, he just showed me things and, and I'm growing and he's leading me. That's an exciting time. I was reading 2 Chronicles chapter 12, and it told how Rehoboam had forsaken the law of the Lord and, and what happened there. On that particular night, I was reading 2 Chronicles 12, and I read these words, and it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Let me skip down to the last part of verse number five. Thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me, and therefore I have left you in the hand of Shishak. Now when I read that, the Holy Spirit of God took the, the Logos, the Word of God, and made it a rhema for me. I mean, it lived, it sprung up in my heart. And the Holy Spirit brought to my mind that I made a decision to buy a car without consulting him. I made a pretense of saying I prayed about it or about seeking God's will. He said to my heart that night, and just as real as I'm speaking to you today, he said, you wanted it, now you got it. But you got it outside of my will. Let me ask you something. If the Spirit of God spoke to you in that way, what would you do? Probably the same thing I did. I fell on my face and I began to cry out to God, oh God, I, I, I repent, oh God, I was selfish, I was presumptuous, I didn't seek your face, I didn't, I didn't seek your leadership. Oh God, please forgive me of my sin. After I prayed for a little while, the Holy Spirit of God bore witness with my spirit that he had heard my prayer and that I was forgiven. What a blessing. I began to rejoice in the Lord and, and that uh, I told the Lord as I got up off my face, I said, Lord, I'm going to sell the car tomorrow. I'm going to get rid of it. I, if I have to ride a bicycle, I'm going to stay in the world. No matter uh, what it takes, I am going to do your will. And so I got up off my knees and started reading my Bible again, just continuing on the passage. And then I read this beginning in verse number six. Wherefore the prince of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, the Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them. And I was rejoicing, God, I humbled myself before God, and, and God had said here, we're gonna destroy them, and God's not gonna destroy thee. And then I read, but. But I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be his servant, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. What he said was this, they're gonna learn what it's like to carry the yoke of their enemy mm -hmm. or to carry my yoke. Mm -hmm. And when I read that pastor, I once again fell on my face because the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, 
you're going to, I've forgiven you. It's dealt with, but you're going to bear the consequences of this. And, and, and you're going to know that my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I began to, I began to, to pray and, and, and the Holy Spirit said, God heard your prayer. He said, you've been forgiven. I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to teach you a lesson. He said, I'm going to let you be the servant to Ford Motor Credit. And I'm going to teach you that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I wept and I prayed and I begged God not to do that. And the heavens were as if they were brass. Finally, I, I just said, okay, I've got to sell the car. I'm going to Mars to sell the car. i got to get out of this. I can't, I can't deal with this. And and we went to bed. We prayed together, had our little together, then we went to bed. At about one or two in the morning, it sounded as if the world was coming to an end. We had the worst hailstorm in West Tennessee in over a hundred years. Now, if you've ever been in hailstorms, normally they last 10, 15 minutes. They don't last a long time. We had, I looked out the window, I thought the roof was coming in. We had one of the units, air conditioners, it sounded like the world was coming to an end. I looked out and I saw in the parking lot, literally golf ball sized hail that went on for nearly three hours. Over 95% of the homes in the county got a new roof because of it. That's how bad the hailstorm was. I got up the next morning and went out and I looked at the car and it looked like you had taken a ball peen hammer to it. I mean, you literally couldn't put your finger on a spot that didn't have a pimple. Oh, what am I going to do? So I immediately take it to the garage and they look and said, well, we don't think we can do anything with this. You know, we don't think we can fix this, not for what the insurance company will pay. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> it was, it was brutal. So I, I called a friend over in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, his name's Tommy Hosey, he's with the Lord now. Uh, he's a car guy. I said, Tommy, come over and tell me how to fix this thing. So he came over and he, he looked at it and, and he said, Brother Eddie, he's got a real high pitched voice. Brother Eddie, he says, uh, uh, you're gonna have to replace the trunk, you're gonna have to replace the, the, the hood, you're gonna have to replace the fender panels, you're gonna replace all four doors. You're gonna have to cut the top off at the dashboard in the front and back and replace the top. That's the only way you can fix it. And he said, they're not going to pay for it and they're not going to total it because you can still drive it. He said, brother, you can't. There's nothing you can do about it. I remember, I'll never forget what I said. I said, Tom, that's, that's impossible. I said, it's a new car. And this is what he said. Hmm. Not anymore. <laughs> Don't you love it when a friend just is straightforward? <laughs> Not anymore. And so I'm stuck with a car I can't repair because the insurance won't pay enough to repair it. I can't replace it. I can't sell it. I'm stuck. I'll tell you something. At that point in our life, in our ministry, we were young. We didn't have any children. And our expenses were not very high. We lived in the parsonage, and uh, God was meeting our needs. And every month, our needs were met, except for that car payment. 
I'm telling you, for that period of time, for about a three-year period, I fasted every week. Every week. And every January, I would set aside two weeks to fast, and all my fasting was about that car. I mean, you just kept driving home. I, Lord, I understand. I know I, I, your, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and I want to be under you. And, and we just kept that burden on. Within a few weeks of that, my wife had the audacity to get pregnant. <laughs> Expenses go up. It's amazing how God works. And God led us from that church down to Alabama where, where I pastored down there. Uh, the church couldn't pay me a salary. They had a parsonage that we could live in. Couldn't pay me a salary. So I had to work outside. I, uh, outside the church, I got a I got a job at a bank, and uh, I hired on. And the day I hired on, the bank changed their health insurance and all pre-existing conditions, including my wife being eight months pregnant, were covered. And so God paid for all of that. And then it came time to make that car payment. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was begging and pleading and I mean every month it was that way every month it was brutal <clears throat> car can't sell another mouth to feed and it was brutal for five years I got the labor of this and we're just getting started and I was daily begging God and weekly fasting and uh, annually fasting a couple weeks every year just begging God to do something and humbling myself before God said, I'm going to teach you. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. If you'll just follow me, things will work out the way that they're supposed to. Let me ask you something. Do you think God knew that hailstorm was going to come? I'm pretty sure he did. Do you think he knew that he was going to give us our first child with all the expenses that came along with it? Do you think he knew that he was going to lead me to a church, to pastor, where they couldn't pay me and I have to work a physical thing. God knew all of those things. But I was so sinfully presumptuous to make a decision thinking that I knew what was going to happen and I was in control of the events. That's why the psalmist prayed and said, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. As children of God, we need to beware of self-centered, godless planning, but we also need to be beware of self-confident presumption. And then thirdly, I'm, I'm just about done. The mistake of self-assured procrastination. Look at verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. You understand, you can do wrong by doing wrong. For example, I can, I can do wrong by lying. I can do wrong by stealing. I can, be, I can do wrong by committing various acts of physically or, or otherwise. Uh, I, I can do wrong by doing wrong. Do you realize that you can do wrong by not doing right? Mm -hmm. That's the sin of knowing good, knowing right, and not doing it. You know, the, the sin of omission is a deceitful sin. I can look out over, over the congregation this morning, and some of you are committing sins of omission, but I can't tell. I can't see it. So it's, it's deceitful in that way. It can deceive us. The sin of omission is destructive. You see, sins of omission always lead to sins of commission. I omitted praying and seeking the face of God, 
and it led me to commit a sin outside the world of buying a car that God didn't want me to have. Now what's the answer? What should we do? Well, first of all, confess to God that as a child of God, you've lived your life as if he didn't exist. Confess that you've had self-centered, godless planning. Number two, confess to God that as a child of God, you've been presumptuous in assuming that you knew how everything would work out. Confess that self-confident presumption. And then thirdly, confess that as a child of God, you've lived your life not doing some things that you know God wants you to do. For example, praying about things. Confess that sin. Now back to my story. Now I'm done. At that time in my life, my Bible reading plan was very simple. I would start reading every year in Matthew. I'd read through the New Testament, then I'd go to the Old Testament. I found that I got a running start before I got into Leviticus, and that helped me. Okay. And I just, I just did that. And I, I, ran, I read through my Bible usually four times a year doing that. Every three months, I would read through the Bible. And every three months, I would be confronted with Second Chronicles chapter 12. And it would bring on bouts of praying. It would bring on bouts of fasting and pleading with God, weeping. Every month for over three years, I knew the yoke of a master that was not merciful not loving, not kind, and not gracious. I was so burdened with a financial weight that had only gotten heavier because I didn't foresee all that God knew was going to happen. Now we had two kids. All was a burden. But it was a burden not that God had given me. It was a burden that I placed on myself because I committed a sin of omission. I didn't pray about God's will. I didn't seek God's will about buying a new car. I set aside time to pray and fast, to seek the Lord, a week of praying and fasting, and, and I just laid my burden before him. And it just so happened, it's amazing how I worked this out. It just so happened that in my Bible reading, while I was fasting and praying that time, it was time for me to pass through 2 Chronicles 12 again. And I read through this passage, and I was reminded of my foolishness. I couldn't go a verse without kneeling and praying and weeping. And, I came to verse 12, and I've read it over and over again, but it never lived for me. But on that day, it lived. It says, and when he humbled himself, uh, when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him, that he would not destroy him altogether. And also in Judah, things went well. When I read that verse, the Spirit of God caused it to live, and he said, I've seen your heart. Don't ever forget this lesson. I'm going to relieve this burden. That afternoon, a man came to me, he gave me an envelope. He said, Brother Ray, I don't know why I'm supposed to give you this, but I've been wrestling with God all night. God wants you to have this. And I thanked him. He left. And I opened the envelope up, and it was a check for the exact amount of the payoff on that Ford Puma. And we began to rejoice and thank God. And I want to tell you something. I have never forgotten what happens when I try to Every time I read through this passage, I thank God for goodness, for grace. I understand something. This is not a message about borrowing money, not borrowing money, buying a new car, not buying a new car. It's not about any. It's a message about are you committing the sin of omission, not seeking God's face as you plan your life. 
I meet a lot of young people that do that. I, I meet a lot of young, uh, old folks that do that, a lot of middle-aged folks that do that. You may think that you're free to live your life and make decisions without asking God what you should do, but you're not. Don't be the bigger fool to say that you believe God and trust God, but not ask him what his will is. Self-centered, godless planning. Planning your life without consulting God. Self-confident presumption. Assuming that you know what's going to happen. And self-assured procrastination. Sinning by failing to do what God to do. I don't know why God let me preach this message this morning. I've only preached it a couple times. But very clearly last night as I prayed and again this morning confirmed. This is what I was supposed to preach. Maybe it's for some of you young folks. Think about what God wants you to do with your life. Ask God what you're supposed to do with your life. It may be with some young married couples and you're about to make some decisions and you've not consulted God and sought his leadership. It may be with some middle-aged folks and, and you're about to make some decisions for your career, for your business, and, and you really haven't sought the face of God and his will in these things. It may be with some of our senior saints and you're making decisions about your last years without thinking about what God would have you to do. I don't know who needed this morning. Maybe God wanted me to preach it to me just to remind me that I need to do his will, whatever that is. And I need to seek his will so that I can know what it is. I trust this morning. You'll ask the Holy Spirit of God to examine your heart, examine your life, and see if you have this sin of omission in your life. Omit praying and seeking the face of God as you make decisions for your life. You see, what decisions? We can pray about everything. We can bring them all. Should I buy that new house? God will lead you in that. Should I get that new car? Should I take this job? Should I marry that girl? On my wedding day, all of my friends and everybody that saw me said, I have never seen a groom as happy as you. I said, I am happy. I'm beyond happy. I'm happy, happy. I mean, it was over. All our wedding pictures and my face is beat red because I've got a grin across my face. I want to tell you something. Three months before, when I was meeting by the Mississippi River over a log praying, oh God, is this your will? It wasn't smiles, it was serious. I want to know the will of God. And God showed me. God will direct your life. Don't be foolish like I was. Don't commit the sin of omission. Not seeking God's face, not seeking his will in the decisions that we're facing. 